Olivia Jade was the ultimate aspirational Gen Zer, the daughter of an actress and a multi-millionaire entrepreneur and an influencer with millions of followers to her name. She kind of had it all. That is, until the US Department of Justice came knocking. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Hello. Hi. Well. Well, well, well. It was a matter of time. It was only a matter of time. We are finally here. We are diving so very deep into the college admissions scandal. I can't believe it took us this long. I kind of can because I feel like... (laughs) As soon as I said that, I'm like, I don't think that. (laughs) This feels like one of those recent scandals, right? Because this sort of broke around the time we were doing this show, yes. right? So it doesn't feel like history. It feels very much like present. Mm. So I needed a bit of time to get a bit of perspective <laughs> on it Yeah, that's, before I wanted to dive in. That's so funny. I mean, it does feel like present, but it was five and a half exactly. years ago almost. So it's like we've Now's just been doing the, the show for a long time. <laughs> exactly right. I mean, one of the biggest reasons we definitely wanted to do this scandal was because of Olivia Jade, mm. to be honest, one of the main faces of this scandal. I feel like she is now... Now at a point in her career where she has come back and I don't know, she's with Jacob Elordi at the moment. I feel like she's rebuilt her brand. And so for me, I would love to go back and work out what happened here and whether she was fairly or unfairly made the target of a lot of feelings about class, money, nepotism. In America. It makes, yeah, that question, trying to get to the bottom of how much was Olivia Jade to blame is such a fascinating question for us. I just think this is the perfect blend of some of our favourite topics here at Shameless Media. We've got Hollywood celebrities, influencers, social media, Nepo babies. It just has everything. I feel like this story was kind of the explosion of the Nepo baby outcry. I know in the Gwyneth Paltrow scandal series, we said commentary around nepotism has obviously been around forever. But I think celebrity Nepo babies becoming a zeitgeisty topic we all want to talk about that's on the cover of magazines and stuff like that. I think that was kind of birthed here with this story. I think the anger certainly was. Like definitely the anger. And and there was a lot of anger, understandably, around this story. So we're just going to dive right into it. Let's not waste any time at all. Let's rewind. We're actually going to start this segment a little differently. We're going to rewind to 1988. All right, Zara, as you said, we are starting this scandal series slightly differently. To learn about the college admissions scandal, we need to learn about the key celebrities involved. And one of those celebrities was the then 54-year-old Laurie Loughlin when this all went down. Laurie Loughlin is an American actress. She's best known for her role as Aunt Becky on Full House from 1988 to 94. She was incredibly popular on that sitcom. She is very much known, or was at the time, as the all-American girl next door. Yeah, exactly. Now, after Full House ended, Laurie continued to book jobs as an actor. But I think it would be fair to say she never actually achieved the same heights as she did when she was on Full House. Mm. Like, the fact that she finished it Full House in 1994, and we still say Laurie Loughlin from Full House. Best known as the actress from Full House. Kind of says it all. Now, in 1997, Laurie was marrying a man named Mossimo Giannulli, a fashion designer. Now, you may recognise the brand Mossimo, which was stocked at Target. Mm. And the couple eloped two days before Thanksgiving and actually told friends and family that they'd married 
after they'd done it. Yeah, interesting. In 98, Laurie and Mossimo welcomed their first child together, a girl named Bella Rose. Then just a year later, they welcomed their second girl, Olivia Jade. Laurie told Us Weekly about motherhood, I would say that I'm available and they have access to me. I am involved, but I am not hovering. I'm there to guide. I think I'm funny, but they don't. I think that's an interesting quote, Mm. given what we're about to talk about. I am involved, but I am not hovering. (laughs) Let's put a pin in that one and come back to that. Now, over the years, Laurie did multiple like made-for-TV movies for the Hallmark Channel. She eventually rejoined the Full House revival on Netflix, which was called Fuller House. In 2016, she was sort of hired as a recurring character in that series. So she was doing pretty well and working pretty regularly. She was pretty famous. Like, I definitely knew her. She's the kind of person where I feel like you would see their face and be like, I recognise that face. I know that person's been on TV, but you might struggle, at least from our generation. Correct. People our age, you might struggle to pinpoint what you've seen them on. Correct. But I definitely think people knew and know she is famous. Mm. Now, Laurie and Mossimo had been living the high life for a while. Mossimo actually sold his brand to Target for $135 million in the year 2000. Not too shabby. Not too shabby at all. So they lived in a $35 million mansion in Bel Air in California. They had a pretty comfy existence. They were living the high life. I mean, if you're selling a company for $135 million, you're living a pretty cushy kind of lifestyle. That's the context you guys need. We're going to now turn our attention to Olivia Jade. As we said, she's the youngest member of this family. By early 2019, she was 19 years old and settling in at the dorms at University of Southern California. She was also an influencer. She had begun posting regular videos to YouTube at the age of 14. So she was kind of five years into this side hustle. Her content consisted of makeup tutorials, vlogs, the occasional challenge or tag video as well that we know from YouTube. Her mum would occasionally appear in videos too, which naturally helped boost her profile. Yeah, exactly. So by late 2018, Olivia revealed a bronzer and highlighter palette in a major collab with the makeup giant Sephora. It's a pretty big get for a young influencer. She was also posting sponsored content to her socials, so she was making good coin from this. She was working with brands like Trace May, Smile Direct and Smashbox Cosmetics. And her social following by this point was well into the millions. So on YouTube, she had 1.9 million subscribers. She had another 1.3 on Instagram as well. So at this point in her influencing career, she had quite a bit of social capital. Yeah, for sure. And she was really capitalizing on that. And she would have been raking in huge amounts of cash for her content. When she went to college, Olivia really took advantage of branding opportunities as well. For example, she decked out her college dorm with things from Amazon in a paid partnership with them. She then promoted her college dorm with all its Amazon items in a YouTube video. That's still live, by the way, if you want to go watch it. By March 2019, though, the whole world would be talking about how Olivia and her family, including her older sister Bella, got their foot in the door at the University of Southern California. Yeah, exactly right. Now, the fallout was so severe that locally here in Australia, the Sydney Morning Herald actually published the headline, Olivia Jade's world comes crashing down as parents charged in college scandal. So the question, of course, is how did it all unravel? Well, to explain that, 
we need to explain how the hell college admissions work and why they're such a competitive and arguably very unfair beast. And so that's what we're about to talk about now. Yeah. Getting into college in America is ridiculously competitive. And I don't think that's going to be a surprise to listeners who don't live in America, have never been to America. I think we see that in pop culture all the time. Like I'm rewatching Gossip Girl at the moment and half of the season has been dedicated into how hard it is to get into different colleges and the way the rich kids are trying to bend the system. I think I only learned what Ivy League was from Gossip Girl. Yes. So, you know, getting into one of the eight Ivy League colleges in the US is extremely difficult. Some names of those colleges that you might have heard of, of course, Harvard, Brown, Princeton, Stanford, Yale, Dartmouth, the University of Pennsylvania, Columbia and Cornell. So I've heard all of those colleges. Like, how do I know so many? Yeah. It's from pop culture. And then also, like, I want to make it clear, none of those universities, like the one we're talking about today, University of Southern California, is not an Ivy League college, and that's considered extremely hard to get into. So it's kind of like... They're all hard. It's all hard... It's all really convoluted. Applying for college is tricky. It doesn't just look at your grades in school. It looks at a bunch of extracurricular stuff as well. Yeah. So here's the thing, right? Most colleges take into account a student's grade point average. I'm sure our listeners Mm. have heard GPA. A good GPA is considered to be around 3.5. But so many of these exclusive schools ask for much higher than that. Now, we're going to get into the weeds of this, but I think it's really important. There are also things called weighted and unweighted GPAs. Again, something I'd heard time and time again in film and TV and never understood what the meaning was. A student can boost their weighted GPA by taking AP classes. I feel like I'm talking in America right now. (laughs) Now, those are advanced placement classes, which are essentially college classes taught in high schools. And so in order to give their college application a pretty competitive edge, some high school students are encouraged to take as many AP classes as possible. It boosts it all up. Yes, but there's a twist. AP classes cost extra to take and not all high schools offer them. For example, the high schools in lower socioeconomic areas offer fewer AP classes or sometimes none at all. Yeah, exactly right. So you can see from the outset how this is already unfairly weighted Mm. against people who are going to school in lower socioeconomic areas. Now, colleges will also take into account a student's standardised test scores. That's the SATs. The SATs! Yeah, and how many extracurricular activities that student has participated in. So individual colleges vary, but you'll also probably know it includes an essay component. (laughs) So much in this. So much in it. And often an in-person interview during the application process. On top of that, students are also encouraged to include letters of recommendation in their application. And even if a student does all of these things perfectly, it does not guarantee that the student will get accepted into their dream college purely because there's just that much competition. Yeah, that nature of competitiveness means there's a bit of murkiness to the whole (laughs) process too. For example, many colleges give preference to applicants who have a family member who also attended that college, which they call a legacy. So you're not just giving the kids at the rich schools a leg up in having additional AP classes on offer. You're also telling people, well, generationally, I hope your other relatives had those leg ups and got into our university as well. And if they didn't, and you're the first one, well, you don't have a legacy. Exactly right. (laughs) Now, colleges also want to attract talented athletes to attend that college and join their sporting teams. So it does help if you're particularly good at football, Mm. basketball, rowing, I guess, and perhaps your application is more likely to get accepted with that in mind. But of course, the last murky, murky detail is, of course, 
donations, right? It kind of seems like the party line for colleges is that officially donations to colleges are just nice gifts from families who are invested (laughs) in that particular college for whatever reason. Just some passionate do-gooders who really want to help a college out for no other reason than to be a good guy. (laughs) Exactly. However, if a family makes a particularly (laughs) sizable donation to a college, reports, and I would say anecdotal evidence, shows that... (laughs) It does really make a difference to the success of a student's applications. Now, the New York Times actually reported on a study that found students from ultra-wealthy families, so within the 1%, were 34% more likely to be admitted than the average applicant with the same SAT scores, and those from the 0.1% were more than twice as likely to get in. Yeah, I also want to mention that the amounts we're talking about here can be colossal. It has been reported that a $10 million donation to Harvard would not constitute a major donation. So the amount that some families are contributing or donating to these colleges is like astronomical. Yes, and it's absolutely not a coincidence that those stats say that the top 0.1% are twice as likely to get into the college they want to get into. Yeah, Like donations matter and they get you in. Absolutely. I, I think I think I can say that as fact. Now, now that we've established the application process, we need to dive into the Varsity Blues scandal and introduce you to a very key player. This key player, the keyest of key players, <laughs> is a guy named Rick Singer. Rick Singer. Look, because it's so often difficult for students to get in to college, many parents are on the lookout for ways to kind of maybe bend the process, help with navigating the process. Especially if they don't have $20 million to donate. No. So that could include paying for tutoring, getting special standardised testing, getting a professional editor for an application essay. All of those leg ups, of course, cost money and they can create quite a lucrative market for people who know the industry well. One person who knows the industry well is, of course, Rick Singer. Now, We want to give you some backstory on Rick's life. We know there's a lot of context in this episode, but we think it's important to paint a picture of who these different characters kind of are. Correct. So in 1985, when Rick was 25, he was actually a full-time basketball coach for Californian high school students. He did, though, embellish a few elements on his resume (laughs) to get here. And this is an important detail in my (laughs) mind, as per USA Today. Singer told a Californian sports columnist he was a four-sport standout at Texas A&M University when he was really an average player in two sports at a much smaller school. He said he coached basketball at MacArthur High School for two years. It was only one. He wasn't the head coach. He was an assistant. And he said he took the team to the state playoffs twice. He did it. Rick likes mayonnaise on stories. Exactly right. And I think that is absolutely important here. It was around this time, right, that Rick had the idea to start a side business which focused on helping students make their college applications more appealing to college admissions committees. Mm, A journalist who knew Rick at this time told USA Today, Rick started this service of trying to get kids scholarships. He was selling the idea to parents that I can get your kid's name out there and increase their chances of getting into a Division I or Division II scholarship. He'd help put together profiles of student athletes and even take videos that he could send to college coaches and recruiters. By 1989, when Rick was 29 years old, 
He established a company called Future Stars, which focused on private college counselling for student athletes. He sold that business and did some other stuff for a while. In 2002, he came back to the business of helping college kids <laughs> or helping students get into college. He decided he wanted to get back into the gig. Yeah, he's, he had to get back to his passion projects, which is helping, <laughs> helping the young folk that need the help. So it was 2007 and this was the business. This college business, the one that he launched in 2007 that would eventually land him in national headlines for all the wrong reasons, it was another college counselling company called The Key and we're going to explain what The Key is and how it worked after the break. Alright, Zara, so when... Rick, old mate Rick, launched the key. He was about 46 years old. According to the business's now defunct website, it was, and I quote, a private life coaching and college counselling company that provides one-on-one support for students to help them design and ultimately realise a life plan. (laughs) So the services listed on their website included in-home and over-the-phone counselling sessions, academic guidance, including course selection and tutoring, assisting students in finding their right fit colleges, guidance through the application process and test and essay preparation. It is worth noting that these services are quite common in the US. You know, when you've got a really competitive market, it means that there is a really kind of lucrative market for people who want to make money off this. Absolutely. Now, the key also offered a series of life coaching services, including programs dedicated to, and I quote, unlocking the student's passion and potential, and I quote, developing the student's personal brand. (laughs) So wanky. Funny. (laughs) Rick had a knack for this. The key had a section on their website dedicated to their recent successful students. The list of successful college applicants on the site included young kids who had made it into Harvard, Yale, Brown, Columbia, and so many more. Whatever Rick was doing, he was succeeding at (laughs) whatever he was doing. (laughs) The key provided several legitimate services, as we said. But that didn't mean that Rick was above some shady dealings to get kids into their dream colleges. As per the Rolling Stone, in one instance, Rick Singer suggested that a wealthy student fraudulently claimed to be the impoverished child of a single mother in his personal essay. It was a personal statement all about his experiences growing up poor and I was literally sitting in a mansion when he showed it to me, an ex-employee said. Rick had been telling him for weeks to write this essay, telling him he was a poor student, but the kid was having trouble writing it because he couldn't imagine what it was like to be poor. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh my God. More often than not, Rick's clients were super wealthy parents deeply invested in their children going to a prestigious college. So let's take stock at this point, right? Rick is charging pretty exorbitant fees. Really high fees, a lot of money involved. Yeah, he's making a bit of money. He has a pretty good strike rate. But then I think the more money you're making and the higher the strike rate, the more pressure that you have on you to continue getting those results. And as we've mentioned, things started to get murkier and murkier. And let's give an example of this by fast forwarding to June 2018, right? It was June 2018 and Rick was explaining his method of getting kids into college over the phone with a parent he was working with. Do you want to read it out? Yeah, okay. So apparently he said this. 
What we do is help the wealthiest families in America get their kids into school. Every year, there is a group of families. They want guarantees. They want this thing done. They don't want to be messing around with this thing. And so they want certain schools. So I did what I would call side doors. There is a front door, which means you get in on your own. (laughs) The back door is through institutional advancement, which is 10 times as much money. I think that's essentially saying donations, right? Correct. And I've created this side door. Because the back door, when you go through institutional advancement, as you know, everybody's got a friend of a friend and knows somebody who knows somebody, but there's no guarantee. They're just going to give you a second look. My families want a guarantee. So if you said to me, here's our grades, here's our scores, here's our ability, and we want to go to X school and you give me one or two schools, then I'll go after those schools and try to get a guarantee done. So that by the time the summer of her senior year, before her senior year, Hopefully we can have this thing done and then you make a financial commitment. It depends on what school you want. It may determine how much that actually is. All right. So there's a lot going on in this quote. Shall we break it down a little bit? You know, of course, in this conversation, Rick is explaining (laughs) his view of the college admission process. The front door, as you said, where you get in on merit. The back door. Kids are just good enough to get in on their own. Exactly right. The back door, which was generally considered to occur, as you mentioned, on a major donation. And then he has his side door, which was a guaranteed, he says, guaranteed spot at one of these coveted colleges at a fraction of the price. So how could he guarantee this? If a big donation of millions of dollars, in his opinion, can't guarantee a spot, how did he do it? Well, in a later indictment against Rick and the Key, prosecutors were able to trace the first allegation of bribery all the way back to 2008. So this is just two months after the Key was formed as a company. So right in its DNA. (laughs) in its DNA. Now, it's a little bit confusing, but it appears that some of what the key was doing was legitimate, but a lot of it was just straight up cheating. Like he was just (laughs) cheating. The main two ways that Rick would help kids cheat was by falsifying their student applications. That means faking their test scores or fabricating their athletic status. As per the New York Times, according to prosecutors, parents paid the key between $15,000 and $75,000 for higher test scores. Mr. Singer encouraged some parents to get a learning disability waiver for their children, which can give students more time to take the tests or allow them to do so without regular supervision. It went on. The cheating went down in three ways. Someone else would take the SAT exams for the student. A person in on the scheme would serve as the proctor and guide the students to the right answers. Or someone would review and correct the students' answers after the tests were taken. Many students were not aware their answers would be changed, prosecutors said. There's sort of no ambiguity about that, is there? The last sentence there is pretty significant. Like this is an arrangement that parents made with Rick and the key that often left their children completely oblivious to it. However, there were also, we should say, other shady schemes that Rick was involved in that were sort of harder to keep a secret from the kids. So we're going to kind of leave those two lines of thought out there for you. Now, the second way that Rick falsified college applications, as you mentioned before, Mish, was by having students pretend to be star athletes. 
Now, we mentioned at the top of this episode, this is actually incredibly funny. I can't wait to explain this. The top of the episode, we mentioned that being particularly good at sport often significantly increased an applicant's chances of being accepted into college. Now, in perhaps with the most audacious of allegations, Rick would funnel money from parents to college coaches to bribe them to admit students under the guise of being a star athlete. The only problem was these kids weren't star (laughs) athletes. In order to keep up the facade, Rick would Photoshop images of these students so that they appeared to be photographs of them playing sports and send them in with the applications. It's so silly. It's like very basic kind of cheating, right? Just Photoshop them in like a robot. What was he doing? Like superimposing their face onto another rower's face. Genuinely, like someone's getting erased from the premiership (laughs) so that this kid can get into college. Here's an example from the New York Times about one of these instances. In 2017, University of Southern California Associate Athletic Director Donna Hainel presented the son of a media exec named Elizabeth Kimmel to USC's subcommittee for athletic admissions. The son was supposedly a three-year varsity letter winner in track and field and one of the top pole vaulters in California. His application sailed through, gaining approval on October 10, 2017, even though the boys' high school had no record of him ever taking part in the pole vault. (laughs) It went on. A hiccup occurred when Kimmel's son appeared on campus. His advisor asked him about his athletic exploits. The boy, who was not in on the scheme, according to his mother, told the advisor that he had no idea what she was talking about and that there had to have been a mistake. According to Kimmel, the advisor said she was going to check into it. According to court filings, Kimmel's son was still in the dark about the way he had gained admission. I want to pause on that really quickly. Because as much as I feel for the kids who don't have these legs up and don't get to cheat and get their way into university, it would really affect your confidence to find out that your parents didn't have any faith in you to get into this college on your own back. And so they are secretly cheating and lying. Like, how much would that kind of erode away your sense of self? Absolutely. Like, I feel more sorry for the kids that couldn't get in. Yes, But I I would be lying if I didn't have some level of sympathy for the kids who genuinely didn't know. Had no And why would he say to his college advisor, what are you talking about? There's been a mistake. Yes. Like, he clearly had no idea. 1,000%. Otherwise, he's just like a really terrible liar. (laughs) (laughs) So it's at this point in the story that we need to sort of circle back to Laurie Lachlan and Mossimo Giannulli and their children, Bella Rose and Olivia Jade. Now, as you already know, around 2016, Laurie's youngest daughter, Olivia, was making a name for herself as an influencer. In an interview with People magazine in 2016, Laurie spoke about how she wanted her two kids to attend college, even if they wanted to pursue creative careers. She said, I've told them over and over and over again. They just, my kids are insistent. My one daughter's a YouTuber and doing very well, and the other one wants to be an actress. So I told them, go to college and get a degree and have a backup plan. But at a certain point, I have to let them try. I'm a hypocrite if I don't. Mm, So Laurie and Mossimo really wanted both girls to go to college. According to People Mag, it was a friend of the couple who introduced them to Rick Singer. This was around 2016, as we said, when Bella was approaching the end of high school. As per a source close to the family, Laurie heard about Rick from a friend. Laurie was told that Rick was the best. He was known for being creative. (laughs) (laughs) So Laurie and Mossimo wanted their daughters to attend the prestigious University of Southern California. According to that same source, it seems Laurie went along with Rick's plan because he explained that this was the only way to get into USC. In April 2016, 
Mossimo emailed an unnamed witness and CC'd Laurie in, explaining that he just met with Bella's college counsellor at her high school. He wrote that he wanted to, and I quote, fully understand the game plan and make sure we have a roadmap for success as it relates to Bella and getting her into a school other than Arizona State University. Now, I just want to stop here for a second, because before we continue, I think it can be safe to assume that this unnamed witness that Mossimo was emailing and CCing Laurie in was either Rick himself or someone who worked at the key. Mm. He was named as an unnamed witness in these legal documents before the case had finished, which is why there's always some strange levels of privacy around who is who. Mm, Absolutely. In July 2016, that witness emailed Mossimo and basically told him that Bella had no chance of getting into USC based on her academic credits alone. So Mossimo and Laurie agreed with the witness that they would need to fabricate Bella's career, and we're putting that in quotation marks, as a rower in order to facilitate her admission to the college. So they essentially said she's not good enough at school and she's not good enough at sport to get in on her own merit. So we need to claim that she's this this crazy rowing prodigy. Well, yeah, and the best part about this, it was actually as a coxswain. So it's the one at the front who's yelling like, go, go, go. And actually, I shouldn't undersell coxswains. They're incredibly good at what they do. But I find that an even funnier Mm. detail of this story as well. It's like incredibly specific. As per BuzzFeed News, Singer emailed Lachlan and Giannulli asking for their older daughter Isabella Rose's transcripts and test scores so he could create a coxswain profile for her. It would probably help to get a picture with her her on an ergometer, or as we call them in Australia, ergos, <laughs> in workout clothes like a real athlete too, Singer wrote, court records show. Giannulli then emailed Singer a photo of Isabella Rose on a rowing machine. A few months later, Isabella Rose, or Bella Rose as we know her, was officially accepted into USC. I would love to know, I think this is a slightly different example to the one we spoke about earlier with pole vaulting. What was Bella asking when her parents were telling her to get into some athleisure and hop on a rowing machine and take a quick pick. What was the convo? Um, if my mum's asking me to do that, I can guarantee I'm saying, Vicky, why? I, th- I wonder how many whys I would ask, though. Like, I'd probably, what? I would ask one or two. <laughs> but if mum was a good liar, I reckon I could probably believe her. <laughs> Following this, the witness went on to ask Gloria and Mossimo if they would need help getting Olivia, the younger sister, into USC as well. So he's already upselling. He's upselling. He's got one in and he's like, all right, let's look to the next. To which Laurie allegedly replied, yes, USC for Olivia. (laughs) It's really that easy. Essentially, the same process went down again. Olivia's application claimed that she was a crew coxswain for the LA Marina Club rowing team. Olivia was also photographed using a rowing machine for her application as well. Like her older sister, you might have guessed it, Olivia Jade was not a rower, but she was accepted into USC via the rowing team. Olivia, though, Zara, ran into a slight problem in December 2017. Like our pole vaulter. (laughs) (laughs) When the guidance counsellor at her high school questioned the rowing experience she had included in her application. As per BuzzFeed News. Over email, Mossimo Giannulli appeared to accuse the counsellor of endangering his daughter's admission after the counsellor flagged to school officials that they had no knowledge of Olivia Jade's rowing experience. 
Based on what I knew of her video blogging schedule, I highly doubted she was involved in the crew, the counsellor had said. Mm, this continued. Giannulli allegedly confronted the counsellor, telling them that his daughter would be crushed if she knew about the situation. He then asked me if I had any idea who Olivia was and what she had going for her, the counsellor said, according to court documents. I told him I was well aware of her YouTube channel and video blogs regarding style, makeup and fashion. The counsellor also told Giannulli that their letter of recommendation to USC for Olivia Jade portrayed her as a guru in her field with a bright future. How interesting that he just sort of, you know, dropped all pretense and went in and said fine. Yeah. It's true. She doesn't row, but don't tell her. And it's also a really good point, that idea that the college counsellor was like, hang on, I've watched a lot of your vlogs. Not yeah. once have I seen you being a coxswain yeah. as part of your schedule. Now, in combination with the fabricated rowing background, it should be noted as well that Laurie and Mossimo allegedly donated a combined total amount of about $500,000 <laughs> through Rick to the USC rowing department, reportedly to ensure their daughter's admission. So they're paying Rick Singer up to 75 grand a pop per kid. Then they're also having to give the college 500 grand in donations just to get their kids into school where they'll then have to pay college fees as well. Like this desperation and greediness, like it's just crazy that this is the system. Completely. And it speaks so much to how it's just a total status thing. Like it is a personal branding thing in America often, what college you go to or what college your kids go to. Now, of course, at the time that all of this happened, it was all pretty hush-hush. No one knew exactly how Bella and Olivia had managed to get into USC, but also no one was asking questions. Like it was hardly the most wild thing that mm. two rich kids got into a college that they may not have had the scores for. And it's not Ivy League, so it's like, I, I get it, it's hard to get into, but if Olivia Jade had said, I'm going to Harvard, I think people would have been like, wait, wait. Like, hang on a second. But USC, maybe there's more ambiguity? Yeah, exactly. I think things got a bit more complicated though, because Olivia Jade was of course posting on YouTube and social media throughout her time at USC, and she was talking a lot about her college kind of Experience. Experience journey. And in August 2018, she posted a video where she told almost 2 million people that actually she didn't really <laughs> want to be there in the first place. She didn't like it. She told viewers in the now deleted video, I don't know how much of school I'm going to attend, but I'm going to go in and talk to my deans and everyone. And I hope that I can try and balance it all. But I do want the experience of like game days, partying. I don't really care about school, as you guys all know. Yeah. And I <laughs> look... Even without people knowing the background of how she got into college, the backlash from saying this was pretty swift and pretty intense. As per Yahoo News, Olivia's viewers responded with mixed opinions, although the overwhelming majority bashed her privileged and ignorant attitude towards education. I honestly found it very disappointing when you said you cared more about parties and tailgates rather than your education. If you hate school so much, why go to college? One commenter said. Two days after her initial video was released, Olivia had to upload a three-minute video to her channel titled, I'm Sorry. We're going to play you a snippet of the video so you can glean the tone and the vibe. I said something super ignorant and stupid basically and it totally came across that I'm not grateful for college I'm going to a really nice school and it just kind of made it seem like I, I don't care I just want to brush it off I'm just gonna be successful on YouTube and not have to worry about school and 
I watch it back and I read the comments and I'm just really disappointed in myself. I'm not here to make excuses or whatever. And obviously I could have done worse, but it's just annoying and frustrating to look on, I guess, because I'm not like that. And I just, I didn't mean it that way. So I'm not trying to like come out here and defend myself or anything, but um, I just genuinely want to say I'm sorry for anyone I've offended by saying that. I know that it's a privilege and it's a blessing and I'm really grateful. I think a lot of people obviously like to attack me for the way I've grown up because it's really different from a lot of people. And so anything I say that's even like remotely just ignorant or bratty or something that I genuinely don't mean, it gets so much backlash and that I feel really, really bad that I even say stuff like that because I just don't mean to sound that way. Look, I know that this is before the Varsity Blue scandal becomes public knowledge and it really explodes. But as far as apology videos go, it's pretty good. Like she does pretty emphatically acknowledge her privilege in this video. On the other hand, though, the facts were the facts. Olivia did not like going to college And this wasn't the first time that she had tried to make that abundantly clear to her fans. Yeah, she had made her disinterest in education very clear over the years. Like at one point when she was at school, she said, I've gone to one class and I already want to die. I just want to go home. (laughs) So when she has a reputation for talking about education and college in this way, eventually when this scandal erupts, (laughs) it's going to erupt quite dramatically in her face. Like, we were already talking about this. Little did Olivia know, however, her time at USC was going to be extremely limited because in our next episode, we're going to cover the public response to the biggest college admission scandal ever uncovered, plus the other celebrities that were involved in the scam. Oh, this has got to explode. And it's going to another next episode. <laughs> if you want to listen to it right now, by the way, you absolutely can if you subscribe to Shame More on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe, listen right now. Yeah, it's actually ad-free as well. We put them up early. They're ad-free. It's there for you if you want to dive right in. It is so damn juicy. There is so much to uncover. But otherwise, if that's not for you, we will tell you the next part of this next Monday. But before then... We will be back in your ears on Thursday for a pop culture wrap. Big thank you, as always, to our researcher Eilish Gilligan and our audio producer Annabelle Lee. We appreciate you both. That's all we've got time for. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. 
there is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.